The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon. Welcome to Empirical Investing Radio with your hosts, Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Thanks for tuning in. We are uh, broadcasting from Seattle, Washington. And uh, every Thursday, 2 p.m., as as you know, Ethan. This show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions, particularly as it relates to retirement planning. Ethan, we've been putting more and more emphasis on that. Mm-hmm. 10,000 baby boomers a day are heading into retirement. That's right. And um, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made heading into that time period and throughout that time period that are uh, can make a critical difference into the quality of life that you have. So if that's an area that you happen to be in uh, and you're looking or not sure what decisions to be made or you haven't put together a thorough retirement plan, mm-hmm. please do contact us directly um, here at the firm. I'll let Ethan give out all our contact information <laughs> or during the program. So any questions you might have, maybe you're contemplating <clears throat> Social Security decisions, Roth IRA conversions, how to develop an asset allocation or investment policy, uh, how should that dynamically change throughout your retirement? Those are all types of things that we're grappling with, and then maybe 20 or 30 other issues on top of that. Mm-hmm. So today, Ethan, I thought we would uh, go through uh, one of our listeners passed a article on from uh, Consumer Reports in February. Oh, great. 2013 issue of Consumer Reports, Money Stumbles uh, to Avoid. So different mistakes they've identified uh, and have examples of people who made mistakes and things to avoid. Them. And there are things we haven't talked about recently. Right. So I thought we could click through some of that. Sounds good. Uh, if that's okay with you. And then in that uh, line of thinking, talk a little bit about a blog we wrote recently about loaning money to family and friends. It's kind of a you know a little planning nugget topic that we can talk sure. about, Ethan. Sure. And uh, before we do all that, why don't you go ahead and give out our contact information? Yeah, sure. If you'd like to, to reach us, you can reach us here at uh, contact at EMPI. Radio.com, or you can reach us via phone at 866-472-5790. These are for sort of on-the-air questions on the horn. those sorts of things. Or if you'd like to reach us and talk about your personal situation, maybe uh, schedule a time to talk or get together in person, feel free to call us at 206-923-3474 and ask for yeah! Ken or Ethan, and we'll happily uh, set a time to get together and go over things with you. Uh, in the meantime, if you'd like to visit our website, we've also put together a uh, what I think is a fabulous 
20-minute video. Oh, stop it. On sort of the, the five secrets of retirement success. And our empirical website is uh, www.empirical.net. And just click on the retirement link there and watch the video. And also we have a, a, a fine workbook um, that details um, much of the material contained in the, in the video as well. So. And we'll be adding a lot more material with regard to retirement right. planning, an entire section around that, including the work that, that we've been doing together on the uh, way to how do you how do you sustain uh, a portfolio and an income level through retirement. And um, it's something I've spent a lot of time researching, looking at all the major publications on that. And we've developed a, a program to help work through that decision. So... So it'll, it'll we'll, we'll po- keep posting it up there. Mm-hmm. All right, do you think anything else you have, you have to say? Uh, you know, I do have a couple, real quick, okay. something else A couple here. announcements? Yeah, a couple announcements. Um, if you're interested in, in uh, we, we do seminars, by the way. Uh, we do we, usually weekly or semi-weekly seminars, and we post the times and places uh, on our website. So we may go do them in Tacoma or Seattle or, or Revendor or wherever. And the, the schedule for those seminars, in-person seminars about the five secrets or other things that we're doing, um, are posted there. So feel free to take a look, and if you wanted to pop by and join us for one of those in, in-person presentations, we'd happily have you. And uh, I just want to want to mention that. That is nice. Ethan, I wanted to point out, last few shows we were, we've been talking about, uh, we've been covering, I think two or three shows ago, we were covering at the end of the year all the different asset class returns. Yep. And even talking about the way that we would some of the foundations or building blocks of building a well-diversified portfolio that gives you a high probability of having a market-beating expected return, right? a general stock market. Uh, and we went through that, and if you didn't get a chance to listen, go back through the archives and, and break that down. But one of the things we didn't cover was what uh, we also covered, I'm sorry, uh, a lot of the mistakes that the professionals made in predicting what the market would do in 2012. That was part of our yes. ongoing discussion and analysis was how many of the professionals got it so wrong last year. And we've been we've been presenting that. I mean, we've been doing this, we're doing radio in one form or another for about five years. And we've all along the way been presenting that as a way of, of trying to guide you, our listeners, and trying to help our clients and prospects and investors out there to, to start to take that type of information with a, with a grain of salt. Don't put a lot of weight into these projections and predictions or even what is in what is pervading the news headlines at the time. Right. Because you know, we talked about about the slide or the or the uh, the data that shows, hey, you know, a lot of times expected future returns of equities tend to be very high when the news headlines are very negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, when things are very positive, the forward return may be very poor. Right. So it's not enough to just follow the headlines or what some guru you find on the internet or see on TV or or any of these guys are telling you. There's a much better way to approach your investing, uh, and preferably alongside a ground, well-grounded, well-educated advisor, but but even on your own. Right. Um, and it excludes all those things. Go ahead. I was just going to clarify a bit further on that yes. idea. So why is that the case? Why is it that when, when the news is very bad uh, it's, or the news is very good, that future returns, return, expected returns are either very low or very high or very high or very low? And the reason is, is it has to do with the flow of information, right? It's that sort of market efficiency idea that all the available information about the market is already priced into the securities today, right? Mm-hmm. So if all the bad news is already priced into stocks, well, 
there you are. And same thing is true on the high side. If stocks are uh, very high because news is very, very good, well, it's already, already built into the price of stocks at that time, which means uh, that, again, the, the, the expected future returns are either higher or lower. But the point is it's the, usually the opposite of how we feel at the time. Yes. That's the main thing. Well, one of the areas – sorry, I, I kind of get going there, Ethan, but what I was going to bring up was gold. And one of the areas we didn't cover in all that analysis when we were going through the asset classes was, well – if you remember, a lot of people for the last few years, particularly going through the crisis, were cheerleading for gold and constant gold commercials on the radio. It's everywhere. Um, Still, it was pervasive everywhere. And I was just curious because we didn't, we don't typically uh, put a lot of attention on gold as an individual commodity asset class. We tend to follow a broader basket of commodities when we're looking at that as in, an inclusion into a portfolio, although there's nothing wrong with having some gold. Yeah. Um, what's wrong with it is telling, getting on the radio and telling someone to take every last dime of their IRA account and put it into gold. <laughs> yeah. How to invest in gold in your IRA, or taking every every dollar of their investable assets and putting pouring it all into gold. And what's further wrong with doing that, Ethan, is presenting gold as if it it is a um, completely safe and riskless asset class. Right. When in reality, we've covered over time that it's extremely can be extremely volatile. Gold can drop sixty percent a year, just like stocks can drop. Uh, they can it can be very volatile. There's yep. there's no guarantee that gold will produce a positive uh, return in any single year, particularly. And so, I wanted to know, Ethan, is what what did for two thousand uh, for two thousand twelve, right? Yep. What did gold do? And I don't know if you had pulled that data up. Uh, what it looks like last year, if you looked at the the um, iShares Gold Trust, yep. For 2000, uh, ending in two th- December 31st, 2012, it did 8.37 percent, and the benchmark did 8.69. The London Gold, London Gold. So. Um, <laughs> Of all the different equity asset classes, we covered that the global equity portfolio did somewhere between 18 and 19-some percent. Um, that's pretty poor, actually. Yeah, and even if you look at the – I have just the last – the trailing one year in front of me right now. Talk to me. And the uh, returns on the, the same gold fund you mentioned there is uh, less than 4% for the trailing one year. Okay. Uh, the Dow Jones is up 5 and the S&P up 10%. And I have no doubt that uh, – over that same period of time, anyway, um, some of the total stock market, world stock market indexes, is, is higher than that still. So not not great over the last uh, year or so. You know, my point, Ethan, is that uh, not that I would sneeze at an eight percent return, right? That's pretty good considering what we were saying the so-called professionals were projecting. <laughs> Indeed, right. 2011, 2012. What were they coming? Right. right? What were they projecting? And for anything, right, getting 8% wouldn't be a bad deal. But what bothers me or what I want to bring out is one more uh, hammering of the nail here home on this topic is that people were – it was far easier at the, at the end of 2011 to find people who would be cheerleading gold as continuing to hit new highs and go through the roof, right? Yep. And stocks to be something you would want to avoid like crazy. That was a, a much easier story with a few keystrokes on your Google there, looking for articles about those two assets, global stocks versus gold, um, to find. And it just proves once more that they're often wrong. Right. Um, 
And that's a lot of difference in return, by the way, for an asset class that's equally as volatile. Yeah, huge you know, difference. You'd say, well, if gold never declined, maybe 8% is great, right, for for a, an investment that maybe at the most it goes down 5% a year. No, it has dropped dramatically. There have been ten, We've covered this story for many times, Ethan, but you know, there's a 20-year period where gold did virtually nothing. And over the entire history, it's done around inflation. Yep. So that's not great for an asset class that carries with it the risk um, that it does. You know, the volatility, volatility that it can right. experience on the downside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I'm glad we, we got that straightened out. So this article, uh, we've got a few minutes we can start with and then go through some of these segments, Ethan. Okay. But I wanted to mix in some general planning. We've been talking for the last few weeks specifically about investing and getting getting those concepts right. Mm-hmm. But this has more of a, of a financial planning, more in your area of expertise. So I'm, I'm hoping you'll really jump in with your professional opinion as we proceed <laughs> right. through this. Let's do it. And so the article uh, has to do, and maybe I'll just kind of lay out some of the areas, and then we come back from the break, we'll start digging into them. Okay. We'll do a deep dive, Ethan. I guess sounds good. Um, but you know, it starts with an analogy, a story. This is money stumbles to avoid. Uh, here's how to steer clear or change course. And again, it's consumer reports. And um uh, a lady they cite here, Carol Mendelson, says she, you know, a simple mistake uh, made her forever wise to the big impact that small oversights can have financially. And she was 36 years old uh, with uh, with two kids, four and seven, when her husband died at age 40. Wow. Had a heart attack. And he hadn't updated the beneficiary designations within his retirement plan. Uh-huh. And uh, needless to say... Um, it wound up that his parents, you know, were apparently listed and were planning to claim the account. So she had to get into a, a legal battle um, to prove that the husband actually had intended her and the kids, right, to be the beneficiary. Sure. Um, with the in-laws, um, which wow. is kind of sad, by the way. It's interesting to how we all interpret things differently, and, and when we're in situations, what seemingly when you're outside of the box, you go, oh, you'd think that the parents would realize that that would be the intent. You cannot rely on that. I, as professionals in this, we've seen that so many times. You really need to be very specific about what you want to happen, and you cannot leave room for judgment because it won't be it won't be like that when the time comes. And money has can have interesting effects on us in a lot of different ways. Sure. So one of these issues is getting it right. We're going to have to take a quick break, and then we'll go through things like updating your beneficiary and your will, um, sharing information with your family, getting your 401ks properly invested, looking at how your insurance goes. We'll do all that when we come back. We'll take a quick break. Thanks for tuning in to Miracle Investing Radio. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. 
That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Where do you stand with your money? Let me put this question a different way. Where do you think you stand with your money? Managing money effectively can mean wealth, success, and contentment. Not managing the right way can lead to stress, anxiety, and even health problems. To reach your financial goals, tune in to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with host Gordon Bennett. Every day we are faced with choices, and the wrong ones can be hard to correct. Don't make a bad financial choice. Listen every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga alongside Ken Smith. Uh, if you'd like to join the program today, feel free to give us a call or email. We can be reached at contact at empiradio.com or 866-472-5790. And uh, we're just about to uh, enter the part of the show where we dive into an article and then kick it around a little bit and uh, give you our thoughts on it. Ken, today we're talking about some retirement or other uh, some financial planning oh, ideas. Oh, righty Right? That's right. So we were going into the break, Ethan. I was just starting to outline the story of um, this lady who had to deal with her husband failing to change the beneficiary when they got married, is what I'm assuming. So he had it listed as his parents on his in his retirement plan. It was about a hundred thousand dollar account. Yeah. Um, that you know she needed to help raise their kids that were four and seven years old at the time. And uh, wound up into a legal battle with the uh, in-laws over who really was his money intended to go to. Was it, she, the quote here is, it was a difficult trauma to deal with in the first place, but to have to worry about my kid's future was scary awful. Um, so they they do a good job of clicking through, and I, I would love your professional opinion, Ethan, as we go through these. And when you can add other things that you see um, that are pretty fundamental uh, financial decisions where things can be mistakes can be made. But uh, sure. first one, right? Not updating wills of beneficiaries, and it, the statistic that they cite is that 86 percent of people surveyed by Consumer Reports, 86 um, percent hadn't have not updated their will or other estate planning documents within the previous five years. Mm-hmm. So what what are the implications of that? They don't really go into that, 
Yeah. They're just saying, hey, that's a mistake and people aren't doing it. Right. 86, that's an enormous amount. So first of all, what, what needs to be updated? Why would we do that, Ethan? And then secondly, how often then should we be doing that? Well, there's, there's things that can change. Uh, the biggest probably, I think the thing that matters the most is changes in your personal situation. Uh, if you haven't updated wills to include new family members, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, that could be a problem, obviously. Uh, a lot of times in terms of wills, like if you have children, for example, you may have a will that says, uh, may name children that are, are currently alive, right? In, in name, name them in the will, but you may have all, hey, all future children if, if not born yet. So some ways around that, but certainly as things change in your life, it's important to make sure that you know, your your wishes are reflected on uh, your in your will and also the account beneficiaries for a, usually IRA or 401k accounts. Secondly, laws could change too that might affect things. I mean, it kind of depends on the size of your state if there's going to be problems or not. But certainly, more clarity through specific designations is the way to go than less. So it's an important thing. And I um, understanding the different. Types of uh, in in the, in her example, right? She she is talking about the designation within a four hundred one k. Most four hundred one ks and IRAs give you the ability to denote uh, a specific beneficiary. Right. Now, that may be different than what you put in the will. Sure. How does that work? Yeah. Well, what's on the four hundred one k as beneficiary or IRA account takes precedent over what's in the will. So um, it's almost as if, for purposes of beneficiaries, if you name a beneficiary, the will doesn't exist. Okay, because right, it, it goes directly to the person you name as beneficiary on those those accounts. So it's important to know then if if you go to your state local estate planning attorney, say you know you had a meeting, you reviewed these things, you you go to the estate planning attorney. It's not enough to have a will drawn up that says I would like to leave my monies and my assets and these things to these people, uh, and not update your. 401k or your IRA accounts, the designated beneficiaries in there, because that will override whatever, even if the will was made more recently. Yes, that, it's exactly right. Um, now, in this case, maybe she got it turned over, right? She she uh, says she had to sue to prove her husband had intended to name her as a beneficiary. So it sounds like she actually won the case. Sounds like it. Um, which is interesting. So that, if they're, if the rat... It's not a cheap process to sue. Extremely, extremely uh, stressful, right? As well. And in this case, it, it's a situation where I could see the court going, "Yeah, it doesn't make sense to have the kids out on the street, but have the the in law parents wind up with a, with this money, right? right?" Like, but other things might not be so obvious, right? So where if you where you list the beneficiary, it may not get overturned, even if you do go through the expense of suing. That's yeah, possible, right? So good why, practice. Why have the risk? Why expose yourself to the risk? Right, and and it's it's probably a good idea to check those account beneficiaries uh, listings. Any of the accounts where you've designated beneficiaries, um, every year or so wouldn't be a bad thing to check. You know, hey, I'd like to get a copy of that. I know when I log into my four hundred one k, it's I can see it online. Right. Who do I have designated? Mm-hmm. Um, and updating your will, and I think what you're saying is, anytime there's a major life change, so say there's a, a new marriage, yep. or a, a divorce, yep. um, those are all trigger points that would be very obvious that hey, you might want to take a look at that. In her case, I, I just wanted to ask one more question. So, so now her her husband has passed away. It's her and the two kids. What would she need to do to get her estate plan in line then going forward? Yeah. So in this case, if she re- re- was the didn't in fact end up getting the money, 
uh, from the 401k, the $100,000, uh, it probably would go into an IRA account, be rolled over from a 401k, because she's not an employee, she's, you know, I guess, the beneficiary. Ultimately, she'd want to put her own kids as beneficiaries to that account, right? Usually, normally what you do is half and half. Okay. Yep. And you don't want, what you don't want to do, I think one critical thing I didn't mention in the article, but what you don't want to do is leave it blank or say, to my estate. Even if your estate documents say, hey, pass stuff on to my kids. Um, in that case, the issue is this. Um, if non-spouses inherit IRA accounts or 401ks and things, and there's not a specific beneficiary designated on the account, um, the rules for distribution are less favorable in that situation relative to each person, each individual child, receiving their own share of the, the IRA account. Um, it, basically, you'll accelerate taxes un- unnecessarily to those pr- beneficiaries. So that's obviously something you want to avoid. Okay. If uh, Now, third, only 30% move forward. Okay. Uh, only 30% um, of households did both spouses know major details about the family's finances and where to find account information. So one of the mistakes that people are making is not sharing their financial information with the family. Um, what do you recommend there? So basically 70, 70% of people have spouses or close family members who would be kind of in charge of taking over things. 70% don't know what's going on. Yeah, a lot of times in, 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 if you're married and things, usually one person does the finances, right? And another person doesn't really participate a lot. Um, I think what you have to do is make them aware of where all those important documents are and actually have a place in your home for those things. Or if you have a safety deposit box, hey, it goes there. You know, your, your, your will, life insurance policies, those sorts of things um, are in a designated place. And so that both of you know where things are, at least, in the event something happens to one of you. Now, in the in the electronic age here, Ethan, what yeah. what is the frequency, or what are what are the positives, negatives of having it stored electronically somewhere, and having some people knowing how to access that doc, those documents? Um, I mean, our safety deposit box is still the primary. You still got to have hard card copies of those things, mm-hmm. life insurance policies. You don't want to just scan it and then throw it away. Um, okay. You could scan it as have a, as a as a backup, I suppose. And have that in sort of sort of a secure online vault. That's fine. But you still want to maintain your paper copies of those documents. Okay, uh, that's the best way to go. Now, and, and indeed, I think you'd have them in duplicate. <laughs> yeah, you know, not just have a copy someplace laying around your house. There's a fire, all of a sudden it's gone. Right. You'd have some place, some copy someplace else as well. One of the things that I recommend doing is. Uh, did you have any other ideas? Okay. Um, is is I I've developed a, an actual spreadsheet or model sheet that I have every um, bank account. You know, you don't even have to put all the account numbers on if you're worried about someone getting a hold of that. Mm-hmm. But it's got every asset, every investment account, every bank account, every IRA, every uh, everything on. It's kind of a personal financial statement almost. But it's just not a list of balances. It includes the. Um, the, the, where the account is, the number to reach to speak to someone, who's on the title of that account or loan, um, what it's for, the purposes of that, what it's attached to, right? And so every credit card that you have. So if somebody, if somebody in the family needed to take over, so in her case, she has two kids, right? Her husband's gone. Well, it's probably going to be a, a brother, a sister, a parent, right? 
somebody who's an adult that's going to need to take over if something happens to her before yeah. she got remarried. Right? Exactly, yeah. And it would be very helpful because in, in the many years that we've been doing this, how many children of parents that took over said, geez, we've been finding account statements that are coming, were coming in, um, things that we didn't know about. It's taking us months to really put the, the puzzle together. Yeah. And it would be much uh, easier if maybe all the documents, like you're saying, you're keeping physical copies in a central location. But more and more, you know, I get electronic statements for a lot of the things that I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even get paper statements anymore for my bank accounts or my investment statements. But I think what would be very helpful is to have two documents, right? One would be this, this spreadsheet where it's all consolidated. I might even just post that up on our web website and people can download it. Um, but you can then kind of lay that all out and reference, hey, what is this for? And reference debt to properties if you have, if you have properties and, um, with your best estimate. It's not bad to track your personal financial statement anyway, a balance sheet of your assets and liabilities. Sure. And it's part of my annual personal process anyway, Ethan, to sit down and say, hey, where do I want to go? Where am I going? Um, it's one thing to hand an advisor a sum of money and say, hey, manage this, right? And invest it. And I want it to grow. It's another to really understand your comprehensive financial situation mm -hmm. and look at that and say, hey, am I steering the ship in the right direction? So those can be, I, I mentioned that because that can, that can be a multiple, bene, multiple benefits in that, in that same exercise. For me anyways, it has been, which is I'm, I'm mapping out all these things. And then you can take a Word document with that and just have a description. Hey, here's here's where everything's at. Here's what I'm. Here's what I. Here's what I. My plan was for this insurance policies. I don't get paper statements on my life insurance policy. I actually don't know. Got a few, quite a few of them actually, but I don't get monthly statements, right? That so it's important too if there's bills or things that need to be paid that um, you could really map that out in kind of an estate. Um, that, that typically isn't part of the will, no, right? Yeah. Other than listing, hey, I want to give this stuff. But a lot of us are opening accounts and doing things outside of what's going on in a will, right? Mm -hmm. Very frequently. Sure. Um, so that's that's just one of my suggestions, and then having a discussion with the key people. One other thing, back on that other topic, and before we go to a break, Ethan, uh, was you know when you have the case of kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's important to think this through as early as possible. And that is, you may have, maybe you don't even have a lot of physical assets right now, but you buy an insurance policy. Right? Insurance, if you're reasonably healthy, it's pretty cheap right now for term. Sure. Insurance that we tend to recommend a lot for basic family protection. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things, uh, we're going to have to take a break now, even, but when we come back, I want to mention is this idea of the guardian and who's managing the, the financial assets and thinking those two things through. So let's take a quick break. Okay. And we'll pick up on this when we come back. Sounds great. Thank you. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 
888-888-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith here, um, just talking about today a lot of personal finance issues. And uh, we were going through one example or one topic, and that is making sure you have an updated will. And uh, Ken, before the break, we were just going to elaborate a little bit more on that, it sounds like. Yeah, so we're going, the, the, just a reminder, if you're just tuning in here, we're going through an article that was uh, published in the Consumer Reports, consumerreports.org, it's our February issue here. Mm-hmm. Of this year, and it's money stumbles to avoid, and so just different mistakes. But we're taking it probably ten degrees further than what they're mentioning here, and I appreciate that about you, Ethan. You're very thorough in in your work, <laughs> separate from your passion. It's your attention to the details that I like, um, and and so we were we were. I was coming back really quickly to the the story that we started with, which was the lady whose husband passed away. Right. She's got two kids at age thirty six. And now she needs to get, you know, it would have been great if he had his estate perfectly in order and had the beneficiaries correctly listed. And that she was completely in the know of where everything is and what needed to be done and what everything was for. We talked about all that. And I was just saying, well, now she's got a situation where she's in charge of two little kids. And if something happens to her, there are some decisions to be made, right? Right. Uh, Hopefully she's got at age 36, if she's healthy, she's got a pretty good amount of insurance. Because at that point, now there's who's going to take care of the kids? Right. And hopefully he would have had, it doesn't mention in here, but hopefully he had the foresight to get enough insurance so that his income and the debts and things that they needed to pay with when they were a couple yeah. can now be accomplished with her as a single mother. Right. Um, very, very critical that you get good advice in that arena, particularly for younger people. And as you start having kids that need to be, be more cared for, right? Yeah. 
So at this point, Ethan, I thought maybe you could just quickly mention, hey, there's a difference between who's going to take care of these kids physically day in and day out and who's managing the money and how that gets dispersed. Yeah, um, and and why you should even think about that before you ever even get to your estate planning attorney. Yeah, I mean those are things. That, those are probably some of the, to be honest, probably the decisions that prevent people from actually getting a will accomplished. <laughs> uh, deciding who's going to take care of the kids, and, and or who will be responsible for financial matters should you no longer be around, um, in, in absence of a of your spouse, for. The children is a big decision. Both those things are a lot of times difficult to, to nail down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've heard, I don't know what the, the statistics are, but I'm, I'm positive that those are some of the major barriers. Not knowing what to do with that, you know, it prevents people from even taking the step to get a will complete. Um, but those are two important things, and they're, they're distinct and different. So as a guardianship for kids, um, you know, that basically would be somebody who cares for them, right? So in my case, um, I have listed my, my older brother as the guardians for my children in the event that something happens to me and my wife. Um, but I also have a decision to make as to who will be responsible for, as you mentioned, I, I have insurance as well, um, that would financially take care of the kids. But who's going to be monitoring that? Right. And sometimes it can be the same person you know, as, a, as also the guardian, or it can be a different person. So maybe you have a, like in my case, maybe my brother isn't so smart with money. I wouldn't want him necessarily in charge of the, my life insurance proceeds to take care financially of, of the kids. So maybe I might have somebody who I think is more um, astute take care of that uh-huh. uh, in concert with uh, you know, the guardianship for my children through my brother. So that's one example how that would, would work. But they're important, important decisions to be made other than simply just beneficiaries on accounts. Yeah. So it's good to think that through even before you have kids, the possible, but is but very early on. Um, and I was just looking at up while you were talking. That's uh, an article last year in the USA Today said stated that three quarters of adults under the age of thirty four uh, do not have a will, and then even baby boomers, uh, it's a forty forty one percent of them still don't have a will. Right uh, in that age category. So yeah, this is a pretty good chunk of people that aren't are processing it and one of the reasons they cited actually was most americans don't because they think it's too expensive they don't have many assets to protect or progress or are procrastinating so you know in updating your will going back to this is another reason why you'd want to do it i mean let's say you let's say you got married in your mid-20s and you have a couple of kids early before maybe you're 30 years old and at that time you think hey it's great i'm going to Get a will, and I'm going to designate guardians for my children in the event my right. wife and I pass away, uh, and and or um, you know financial matters as well. Have somebody in charge of that for the benefit of the children. But let's say ten years go by, you know now maybe you're you're 40 years old, and but the people you designated before are no longer really close to you. Maybe they moved away, or maybe maybe they maybe one of them passed away or something like that. There needs to be a change and updated to the will, right? So the people that you had designated as guardians or financial guardians for your children's benefit, maybe no longer part of your life. Something changed right, with that right. regard. That'd be an important thing to know, right? Yeah, what? You know, I mean, that, that's an unexpected or unintended consequence that clearly you would want to avoid. So it would make a an extremely difficult situation for your children all the more difficult if that wasn't ironed out in advance. So do it, not, not for yourself, do it for them. Yeah. Okay. So... Messing up on 401ks. So they say about two-fifths, uh, 40%, I guess, of respondents set aside 6% or less of their pre-tax income and defined contribution retirement accounts. 
most likely missing out on free employer matches. 91% never reviewed fund expenses within their plans, though these expenses play a major role in their in the long investor's return. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not, you know, just my comment is when you're, a lot of the plans we've seen historically, and if you're dissatisfied with your company's plan, uh, feel free to call us or send us a copy or statement. We'd be happy to review it with no pressure to ever have us manage the plan, but just to give you some insight um, on what we would do differently, because I see so many of them still with all the media that's out there. And there's been recent changes now where they have to publish, 401k providers have to publish the expenses and make it more apparent to the to the end yes. uh, users. And um, that, that will bring scrutiny that I, I believe will imp- continue to improve what's put on the menu because now when the employees are looking at it, mm-hmm. it's going to be harder for employers to be um, you know, negligent about, about that and, uh, and for the provide, expensive providers to kind of slip that under the radar. Yeah. But, um, but, it, but in, in most of these plans, Ethan, I mean, there's a few choices. What, what good does looking at the expenses do for the, you know, there, There's probably a reason why 90% of people aren't looking at them. Yeah. It's because what choice do I have? <laughs> you know, I, well, I can look at them all day long, yeah. but they are what they are. Yeah. And now you're in a situation where, as they point out, right, if you don't put in a minimum amount, because what's your option then? Not to put into it? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, then you don't get the tax deduction. And if there is an employer match, you're going to miss out on that. Now, I'll let you speak for yourself here, Ethan. What, what's your advice on on this? Yeah. yeah, it's better to know than not to know. And more likely than not, more and more 401ks these days have some low-cost options I'm seeing. So they may have sort of uh, the traditional funds that have the generally higher than, than you'd like expense ratios. And they also tend to have, these days, more and more often the case, some lower sort of index-style funds, lower-cost-style index funds to choose from. Now, they may not have one in every single asset class. You know, it isn't like it's, it's the... Uh, has every, all the bases covered, but certainly you can implement, use the ones that are available. And the only way you're going to know is by looking at the expense ratios inside the funds before you make a choice of what to invest in. So it's worth the exercise, is my point. And yeah. the savings can be significant. So let, let's say, for example, you're looking at a, just a large cap U.S. fund. Um, maybe it's um, a typical traditional type of mutual fund, the one that's actively managed. Maybe it's one to one and a quarter percent in that asset class. Well, they may most, they may likely have an S&P index uh, fund available in that same space. So the only way you know the difference in the cost is looking it up. And clearly, where the index fund is available, you should use the index fund, right? Right. So that's one thing I would say. Certainly the difference in getting a, that part of the of your – getting those assets invested properly uh, among the, more, the most relevant and appropriate asset classes mm-hmm. – uh, is the most important way to change because we've talked about in the last show how a small compounding difference over hey, you're, you just got out of college, you started your job, you're, you're in your 20s, and now you're saving for when you're 60, right? Mm-hmm. It's a long time. You're talking about 40 years of savings um, that can be compounding, right? And and it's where it's that 40 year period where just even a one percent compounded over over the per year makes. Millions can be hundreds of thousands of million plus dollar difference in the ending result. Right. Um, so it is critically important, but even more important is that you're adding to it and you have a very clear, consistent process of saving and trying to hit the maximum number if you can. Um, so putting in 6% for most people isn't going to get you there. Yeah. You know, you, you need to be putting in more than that. And I suggest. 
if you're younger and you're coming in and you're saying, hey, I don't make enough money to put that much in, right? Um, start with something like 10% if you can. And every time you get a raise, take half of the raise and increase the allocate, increase the savings percentage that you're going to direct to your 401k. Right. So keep half, give yourself half the rate, right? Yep. Until you get that, at least that maximum amount, which for this year is what, 17.5? Yeah, that's right. So you can put up to $17,500 into your 401k plan. Yeah, if you're under 50, if you're over 50, there's a $5,500 catch-up. So an additional well, five bonus catch-up there. Yep. Um, if you're not doing that, right, um, but you're putting in a small percentage, we'll start ratcheting that up. I mean, clearly you need your raise, at least your inflationary raise. But it, but you're when you're when you're younger, you tend to have up to your peak earnings uh, a rapid acceleration of if you're doing a good job anyway. Um, <laughs> hopefully, you know it's increasing at more than three percent a year, right? And right. when you get those bonuses, when you get that those pay increases, don't immediately adapt and adjust your lifestyle. This is what I've seen a lot of young people do: is every raise they get, they immediately have already spent it in their lifestyle change. They upgrade their car, they upgrade their apartment, they buy a bunch of furniture, they get, they, you know, it's it's already gone. But if you learn and you build that discipline from early on, it becomes just part of your process. And you never miss it yeah. if if you've already earmarked half of the raise. You're still getting the raise, or you're still getting the bonus, right? But you didn't miss it. Right. So getting that contribution amount right and then determining what is the best now approach, because you can pick Roth a lot of times in the 401k. Yeah, that's right. Um, that can be even a, a bigger difference than the you know quarter percent difference between expense ratios and funds. Yeah. And like I said, our advice is, or like you said, our advice is you stick with the index funds. So then it's an it's a really a function of do I have expensive index funds because mm-hmm. the the plan that my employer is providing only offers expensive index and they're still better than your traditional active stuff. Right. But what choice, you know, if you gravitate towards the index, you're by nature going to be picking, should be picking the cheaper funds anyway. Mm-hmm. And the added bonus of that is you'll be properly diversified and have greater chance of getting market return. So we've got to take a quick break, Ethan, and uh, we'll be back for a final segment in, a, in just a few minutes. All right. Thank you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Ken Smith here with Ethan Broga in our last segment. And we are talking about money stumbles to avoid. This was a, a great article for, in Consumer Reports about some of the big mistakes that are that are pretty simple to fix um, that uh, people are making, Ethan. And uh, we're giving our specific recommendations mm-hmm. to how, how you might address these issues. So the next one on the list, Ethan, uh, that they have here is underinsuring, and I, I think this would be great to hear, only 36% of homeowners have purchased extended coverage on their homeowner's insurance that covered the full replacement value of personal property, and only 20% of those surveyed respondents had umbrella coverage to protect them from liability lawsuits. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about those two issues? What is this concept of extended coverage on uh uh, your homeowners that covers the full replacement value. Yeah, are they talking about the uh, the goods inside the house? I, I presume that's the case, or are they talking about the the um, the house itself? It says full replacement value of personal property. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, in each in each homeowner's policy, there's a there's a section that's dedicated to contents of the home inside the house. So things like TVs, couches, uh, in your case, art by not work and and uh, marble floors, that sort of thing. I'm getting a little luxurious. <laughs> luxurious items like your, your Roman statues that you've exactly. got around the house, marble yeah. of yourself. So they have they have uh, standard, usually standard uh, um, limits for these sort of things in your standard homeowner's policy. Um, and many times I think that it's probably adequate. Um, but if you have special things, like let's say you do like fine art, for example, and you you've purchased uh, numerous, you know. Statues, as it were, or, or paintings, or other things of, mm-hmm. of, of value outside of just your normal yeah. sort of, uh, you know, your your flat screen TV and other things. You you want to be sure you include those things, especially on uh, detailed in your homeowner's policy. Otherwise, they may not be covered for the full replacement value. So, uh, you know, jewelry could be one of those things. You, you you definitely want to add if you have jewelry. Hey, add that as a writer onto the policy. I have this. Maybe you inherited a uh, a fine necklace from your your grandmother or something. 
generally those things need to be uh, specified on the policies. So here they give an example, Ethan, says when, when Hurricane Gustav blew through uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, home of Denise Porter and Richard Hannon, in 2008, the two assumed their homeowner's insurance would pay to replace the roof and repair two damaged rooms, but their policy paid only the actual cash value of their property, that is, the replacement costs of the property minus depreciation. Oh, wow, yeah. And they faced repair bill, bills in the tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, to economize, they'd also failed to get policy features that would cover the cost of bringing the home up to new building standards. Yeah, that's common. And provide for inflation in the cost of materials. We, we were shortchanging ourselves, Porter admits. Yeah, a lot of times, um, if you buy an older home, for example, uh, like I have, I have one that's built in the 50s, um, undoubtedly, codes are different. Right, and they are now, they were they are now than, than they were then. Building codes, that is. Um, you want to make sure that the money you have insured for is is going to cover those sorts of expenses. And usually, there's some type of uh, of, uh, of adjustment that is made to policy. So you don't have to exactly figure it out in terms of what dollars, how much dollars it would cost to replace the house under current current codes. Um, but definitely, you want to look at it and, and at least talk about it with your insured insurance agent or other financial expert. I think just to make sure that you're covered the way that you think you are. Because I think most people, if they were just getting a policy, they want to cover their house, right? And, and hey, I just need to get this policy. They're not thinking that it will actually get wiped out and the roof will cave in and then they'll have to figure out that the insurance, I think most people would just assume, oh, it's, if I have the insurance, it's covered. Yeah. But now you're getting into some interesting nuances here. Details that you need matter. to make sure, right, that, that the insurance companies and the long legal documents and fine print, right? That you would really want to map out. Hey, if if, if I bought this, um, is it gonna is it going to inflate with the cost of materials? Is it going to be the, the actual value to um, the cost it will it will be to incur to replace this roof, or is it? Hey, the roof, you know, was worth X and it's been depreciating. That's very interesting. Um, and I think a, it, yeah, it especially matters if you're in a, a place where you have floods or you have hurricanes, right, or you have tornadoes. Or you have earthquakes that you specifically talk to your insurance agent about those specific risks and how they're handled. So, like in, in, in Seattle, we don't have a lot of hurricanes, don't have a, a lot of uh, you know uh, those sorts of things. We do have earthquakes, though. Uh-huh. So earthquakes would be good to know, and then you actually have to buy earthquake insurance to, to get be covered. Otherwise, your homeowner's policy doesn't cover it. And even when you do have earthquake insurance, usually there's a a ten percent deductible. Or a fifty percent or twenty percent deductible, so you're, okay. you're going to be on the hook for at least the first portion of that, anyhow. And you want to know what that is, and because in their case, it's after they move to a new home. It says their 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 homeowner's policy includes coverage for inflation protection and to rebuild up to code. So yeah. those are two features, or, mm-hmm. right? To reduce their premium, they raise the deductible to one thousand dollars per incident from five hundred, which makes sense for most folks. Okay, so you'd rather have a more broad coverage or more comprehensive coverage in terms of inclusion of inflation and adjustment of costs and eat a little more of the first dollars yes, on that exactly deductible. Right. That's a, a better way to maximize that low probability event. Yeah. Um, a lot of times the co- total cost will be the same, right. but you have just have better coverage. Okay. And in the extreme case, there's a big disaster. They have a separate state-sponsored wind and hail policy with a deductible of 2% of the home's insured value when the loss is caused by a hurricane. Uh, the couple also bought federal flood insurance at about $350 a year, though their home is not considered to be in a flood-prone area. Mm. 
Yeah, there you're both those cases. You're addressing risks that are specific to the geographical area you live in. Okay. That makes good sense. You should always do that. So I, the moral of the story here is it's very important to not just gloss over that with slapping a, a generic policy on your house, but be very clear of the risks that you're taking and what's actually covered in the event any of these things do occur. Right. Uh, two other coverages. You know, Ethan, I thought we'd just finish on this, and Let's then do next it. week we'll start with the lending friends and family money topic. Um, last couple minutes here. Build up your emergency fund. Um, you know, it says that uh, how many, what percentage do you think, Ethan, have uh, have an emergency fund? Uh, 20%. More than 70% uh, said they didn't have one, so I guess that's pretty close. Close. More than 70% of those surveyed said they didn't have an emergency fund that could cover three to six months of living expenses. 77% had not stored important financial information and contacts in a secure place. So it's kind of an emergency in general kind of thing. But uh, I think that's uh, that's pretty interesting about the emergency fund. 70% don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, not checking credit reports in the last minute is uh, something that's free from the three major agencies. Once a year, you have access Correct. to get it free. That's right. Um, what's your thought about that? Yeah, I mean, geez, you know, you may not know there's an issue until you actually file to get some credit. And so, right. therefore, it makes sense, I think, to check you know, once a year, tw- twice a year minimum, or once every two years at minimum, I think is reasonable. Uh, yeah, I think I don't know if that every year is necessary, but certainly uh, if you've had issues in the past of it, you certainly want to give closer tabs than if you haven't. And sure. I wouldn't let it go two years without checking. Okay. Well, Ethan, I think that's about all we can cover today. Those are some good, basic, practical financial planning tips. Appreciate your feedback and all your input on that. I enjoyed it. And uh, next week we'll be back at it, same time, same place. So thanks for tuning in. And again, if you want to contact us throughout the week, ask for Ken and Ethan. You can call 1-800-923-4307. Thanks for listening to Empirical Investing Radio. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. 